For those of you that don't know me, my name is Yuen, or Yuen, and I'm one of the elders here at Discovery. I'm also part of the teaching team, so I get uh, the pleasure of bringing uh, God's Word to us this morning. Super excited. If you guys want to go ahead and meet me there, we'll get there in a little bit. Um, if you don't have a Bible or you need one this morning, go ahead and just raise your hands and one, someone from our team will go ahead and bring you one. And if you don't have a Bible at home and you'd like to keep it, by all means, please uh, keep that Bible. Uh, it's yours to keep. All right. So if you're joining us for the first time or kind of just stepping into Discovery Church, we are just about wrapping up our current fall series that we've titled Our Kind of Crazy. Now, when we say our kind of crazy, what we are really talking about is culture, right? Now, I know some of us might be thinking, why do we spend so much time talking about church culture, right? Like, why can't we just follow Jesus? But here's the really interesting and fascinating thing about culture. The fact is, culture is inevitable. Right? If you think about it, anytime you get together with your friends or group of people and you do something over and over again, eventually you start to form mannerisms, you start to form habits, you start to form patterns and inside jokes, and before long, you've created a kind of culture, whether you did it on purpose or by accident. Right? We can't not create culture. Anytime we come together as a group, we create culture, and we do that as a church and as a community too. And so we want to talk about culture, and we've been talking about culture for the past eight weeks, because we want to be intentional about the kind of culture and the things we value, right? Relationships, joy, authenticity, multiplication, the story of scripture, these are some of the things that we've been talking about. And we didn't just come up with these values because they sound cool or we can put hashtags in them, right? We came up with these values because we believe that these are the things that Jesus' kingdom is about as we saw in Matthew in our past series. And we believe that as we live out these values, we'll actually be demonstrating the good news of Jesus in a way that the people of Davis um, can see and discover the good news of Jesus and what he's all about. And so if I could summarize kind of our series this fall so far, it's that our goal is that we as a community would live in such a way that our kind of crazy highlights the name of Jesus and makes known his good news to the people of Davis. Are you with me on that? All right. Let me pray for us real quick, and then we'll dive into our topic for today. Heavenly Father, God, we thank you so much for this beautiful morning. We thank you for the community of believers and the fact that you have called us um, to be your people, um, to be in your family. God, that is amazing. Um, And we're blown away by your love and grace towards us. Um, God, we thank you for who you are and for the kind of crazy that you've called us into, Lord. Um, We want to just live that way to the end that your name would be magnified and glorified and that the people all around us would be hearing your good news and coming to know you too. Um, God, would you be with us this morning? Would you help us to hear and to understand your word and the beauty and the depth of what you've done for us on the cross and your victory over sin and death, God? Um, Would you lead us? And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so our topic this morning is the good news of communion. And... I'll start with just what is communion, right? So communion, quite literally, is that time of the service when we get some bread and some wine, or in this case, grape juice here at Discovery, and we eat it, right? We do that every week, and churches around the world have been doing this for nearly 2,000 years, right? Now, anytime you do something for 2,000 years, especially when it involves food, it's really easy to forget the meaning of what you're doing, right? So I'm Chinese, and as you know, we Chinese have a long history, and we also love our food. 
And so we have lots of festivals, and every festival we have has some sort of food that goes with it, right? And so you have Chinese New Year, where we're supposed to eat dumplings and fish. We have uh, the Mid-Autumn Festival, where you're supposed to have mooncakes. And then we have, like, birthdays, where you're supposed to eat noodles, okay? Now, there's always this one festival every year, and I can't remember the name of the festival or what it's about. All I know is that there's this festival where we eat these things that we call zongzi, or rice dumplings. And whenever I celebrate that every year, as far as I'm concerned, I'm just celebrating the delicious union of glutinous rice and pork belly, right? <laughs> now, the fact is, when we come to communion, Maybe we've been celebrating all our lives. Maybe this is our first time in church and we've never celebrated it before. But sometimes we can also just be going through the motions, right? And we can forget what it's all about. So today, we want to take some time to kind of unpack that a little bit um, and to just remember what is the point of communion. Here at Discovery, we celebrate it every week, and it's not just a tack-on to the end of the service, okay? Um, you probably heard Steve say it multiple times on stage, and I'm going to say it again today, that communion is actually the highlight of our time together, right? It's the highlight. Now, why do I say that it's the highlight? And it's because communion is the highlight of our Sunday gatherings because it tangibly invites us to participate in the good news of Jesus. That's the big idea for us this morning, okay? Now, how many of you guys have ever attended a wedding, right, Just as a guest? Okay, now, how many of you ever went to that wedding because you really wanted to see the officiant give a sermon, right? No, that's not why you go to a wedding. You go to a wedding because you want to see the moment when the couple is going to make their vows, right? In the same way, we say that communion for us is the highlight of our service because I can be up here talking, but at the end of the day, that's just a setup for the moment when we actually get to come and engage and respond to the invitation of the fact that God wants you to be in a relationship with him. Right? That's the highlight of our gathering each and every week. So I'm going to start talking a little bit about um, why the tangible participation is important to us. Okay? And the first thing is that communion isn't just some practice that you know, the church came up with or made up. Right? Communion was actually given to us by Jesus on his last night at the Last Supper. And it says in Luke that Jesus eagerly desired to have this uh, Passover meal with his disciples. And it was at this meal that he gave them the practice of communion. Right? And so one, Jesus was excited about communion, and he eagerly desired it, and he wanted us to practice this in remembrance of him. Right? So that in of itself is probably reason enough that communion is a highlight. Jesus wants us to practice this and to remember him. But the second piece of it is I believe it's the practices and the stories we tell that actually shape who we are. We have this weird thing in Western culture where we somehow think that academic like information transfer is the pinnacle of understanding something, right? And many times we come to church thinking that somehow the sermon is going to be the, the takeaway thing that's going to tr transform us. But if you really think about it, all the most important and kind of beautiful things in life, words can't fully convey them, right? Think about a beautiful sunset. I can explain that to you, but have you experienced it? Or think about a well-timed hug, right? I can tell you all about that, but you don't really experience it until you step into it, right? I think it's the same way with some of these tangible practices. I also think back to my childhood and the fact that I'm sure my parents taught and told me many things, but I don't actually remember any of it, right? <laughs> but what I do remember are the practices that we had growing up, right? 
the Saturday afternoon pizza time that we always had together as a family and I looked forward to after Saturday morning cartoons. Um, the weekly visits to my grandparents, right? The fact that we started and ended every single meal together and so much so that I was a really slow eater because I was really talkative and my parents actually had a rule that I wasn't allowed to talk after one person finished their bowl of rice so that I would eventually finish so that we could end the meal together as a family, right? And, and then we would all clean up together, right? And it was all these practices um, that we, we did over and over again for 18 years uh, that I think shaped me much more than any single thing that they said, right? And so it's hugely important for us to recognize that a practice like communion is formative. Right? When we come week in and week out, we're retelling the story of Jesus and the things we value to the end that it might shape us as people and as a community. Right? Which brings us then to the question, what is the good news of Jesus? Right? What is communion and what does it signify? For that, um, let's turn to our main text for today. And we're going to be in Matthew, again, 26, verses 26 to 29. We're going to be looking at three main things in here. Um, and it's the fact that communion invites us to right relationship with God, it invites us to right relationship with others, and it invites us to look and to long for more, to look ahead and to long for more. Let's go ahead and read the text. Matthew 26, verses 26 to 29. And a little bit of backstory here on Matthew, right? Throughout the story of Matthew, Jesus has kind of broken onto the scene. He's proclaiming and bringing the kingdom of God in amazing ways. And as he's doing all these amazing things, the leaders and powers of the day are threatened by the message of his kingdom, so much so that the leaders are planning and plotting to kill Jesus. Right? So in Matthew 26, what we get to is the night right before Jesus knows he's going to be betrayed, he's going to die on the cross the next day, and then he's going to rise from the dead to show that he has overcome sin and death. Right? But on the night before all of this happens, he's eating this meal with his disciples, and he gives them the practice and the imagery of communion because he wants them to remember what he's about to do and accomplish. All right, so that's where we are in Matthew 26. And it says this, while they were eating, Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, take and eat. This is my body. Then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink from this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. All right, so to understand, and we're going to kind of camp out here, right? But to understand these three verses, I first need to uh, bring to light a really powerful literary tool of our day, and that is the meme, okay? Now... <laughs> How many of you, you guys probably all use memes, right? And I think memes are amazingly powerful. I'm actually really bad at using them, but I've seen other people use them brilliantly. And they're powerful because in just a few words and an image, you can convey so much meaning, right? And the reason you can convey so much meaning is because the image and the words bring back a story, right? And there's a story that you immediately think of. So for example, when I say to you, one does not simply resist bacon, right? If you know the story of Lord of the Rings, you know that that comes from the idea that one does not simply walk into Mordor, right? And it's very hard to walk into Mordor, and therefore it's very hard to resist bacon. I do eat a lot of bacon, right? And so 
These are the memes of our day, right? Powerful illusions that bring up a whole lot more meaning than just the words themselves. Well, in Jesus' day, everyone was fully versed in the scriptures, right? It's a Jewish audience. And Jesus, as an excellent teacher and communicator, he didn't waste words, right? He used a meme, if you will, or illusion to help his audience understand the depth of what he was trying to get at. And so there's two kind of key memes or illusions in this passage today that I want us to see. The first is this phrase, blood of the covenant, right? That would have been an immediate kind of allusion to something that Jesus' disciples would have caught on to. And so I want us to take us back to Exodus chapter 24 and 32. I'm going to read for us there. Now, a little bit of uh, just kind of setting the stage here. As I read this, this is a mashup translation of kind of three different English translations of NIV, the message, and NLT. And I've also put a few kind of transitional phrases in brackets. The reason I've done this is I really want us to focus on the story that's happening here. Okay, I want us to get the story. Sometimes I think when we read the Bible, we get so caught up like looking at the individual tree that we miss the bigger picture of what's happening. And so right now I'm just going to read it like story time. And I want us to kind of just sit back and follow with me, okay? This is Exodus 24. After the Lord had mightily rescued Israel and brought them out from slavery in the land of Egypt, he invited them to enter into a special covenant relationship with him. And he began to explain all the vows and promises they were about to make. Then the Lord said to Moses, Come up the mountain to me, you and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and 70 of the elders of Israel. You are to worship at a distance. But Moses, you alone are to approach me. The others must not come near yet and the people may not come up with you. When Moses went and told the people all the Lord's words and laws, they responded with one voice, everything the Lord has said we will do. Moses then wrote down everything the Lord had said. He got up early the next morning and built an altar at the foot of the mountain and set up 12 stone pillars representing the 12 tribes of Israel. Then he sent young Israelite men, and they offered burnt offerings and sacrificed young bulls as fellowship offerings to the Lord. Moses took half of the blood and put it in bowls, and the other half he splashed against the altar. Then he took the book of the covenant and read it to the people. They responded again, We will do everything the Lord has said. We will obey. Moses then took the blood, sprinkled it on the people, and said, This is the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. Then Moses and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and the seventy elders of Israel went up and saw the God of Israel. Under his feet was something like a pavement made of lapis lazuli, a rare gemstone, as bright blue as the sky. And despite God's awesome power, he did not harm these leaders of Israel. They saw God, and they ate and drank in his presence. Then the Lord said to Moses, Come up to me on the mountain and stay here, and I will give you the tablets of stone with the law and commandments I have written for their instruction. So Moses went up the mountain with Joshua and told Aaron and the leaders of Israel to wait for his return. Now we're going to skip ahead to chapter 32. After many days... When the people saw that Moses was taking so long to come down from the mountain, they gathered around Aaron and said, Come, make us gods who will lead us. As for this fellow Moses who brought us up out of Egypt, we don't know what has happened to him. Aaron answered them, Take off the gold earrings that your wives, your sons, and your daughters are wearing and bring them to me. So all the people took off their earrings and brought them to Aaron. He took what they handed him and made it into an idol, an idol cast and molded in the shape of a calf. Then they said, these are your gods, Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. All right. 
So that's the story right there, right? That the Jesus' disciples would have immediately thought of when the idea of blood of the covenant was brought up. And there's two things here that I want us to see in this first story. Right? The first thing I want us to see is that ever since the beginning, God is the one who initiates and invites us to right relationship with him. Right? You'll see that God is the one who initiated and rescued Israel from slavery and brought them to himself. And then God is the one that initiates the covenant relationship, making a way for them to come into relationship with him. Right? God is constantly initiating because God wants us to be in right relationship with him. And this isn't just like, a, okay, I'm cool with you now, right? God invites them over into his presence for dinner, right? This is communion, fellowship, hanging out in the presence of God, right? That's what God is doing here when he's inviting them to come. And that would be a beautiful image, except in chapter 32, we get the fact that we as humans always screw this up. Right? God invites us to come into a relationship. God invited Israel to come into his presence and to dine with him. And before God even kind of finishes presenting all of the instructions and the vows and the promises, Israel goes and basically does their own thing. Right? Now, it's easy for us to look at Israel and be like, wow, Israel, like, we can't believe you did that. Except the story of Israel is in many ways a microcosm of our story too. Right? And if you're honest with yourselves, and if I'm honest with myself, Every time I tell myself, hey, I'm going to do right, right? I'm going to do right this time. I'm going to be good. I'm going to do the right thing. I'm going to be nice to people and be loving, just like Israel said, right? We're going to do everything God commands. Somehow, we always screw it up, right? Somehow in us, we have understand tendency towards selfishness, right? This tendency to misunderstand what right and wrong should actually look like. So much so that even when we try to do right, we screw things up and we end up hurting people and we end up making a mess of things, right? The fact of the matter is we don't know right and wrong, right? God does, and he's calling us to come and to follow him. And sin looks like what we do when we rebel against that, and we say, no, God, I'm going to do my own thing because I think I know better. And we see that here in Israel. And so if that's the first illusion that Jesus points to in Matthew 26, that's kind of a sad illusion, right? Because basically when he says this is the blood of the covenant, is his disciples are going to be thinking, okay, cool. Like the blood of the covenant is that God invited us into a relationship with him, and then we screwed it up. And this is the pattern over and over and over again throughout the scriptures, right? God invites Israel into a relationship, and they screw it up. God invites us, and we always screw it up. We can't keep our end of the bargain. We can't keep our vows in that covenant. Thankfully, there's a second allusion here that Jesus points to, and in particular when he says, my blood of the covenant, and he talks about the forgiveness of sins, this would have been an immediate allusion for his disciples to think back to Jeremiah chapter 31. So let's go there, and we'll tell the story there. Jeremiah chapter 31, and I'll kind of start with a little bit of backstory because we're skipping over about 800 years of Jewish history here. But this pattern of Israel's unfaithfulness and God's continued patience replayed itself over and over again for nearly a thousand years. During this time, many kings came and went. Some ruled well and at least tried to lead the people in keeping the vows and promises of the covenant. But most were dreadful, leading the people astray and forsaking God altogether. It was during these tumultuous times that the word of God, in a glimmer of hope, came to the prophet Jeremiah. So this is what it says in Jeremiah chapter 31. The day is coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel. This covenant will not be like the one I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand and led them out of Egypt 
because they broke that covenant, even though I loved them as a husband loves his wife, says the Lord. But this is the new covenant I will make with the people of Israel when the time comes, says the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, know the Lord, because they will all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, says the Lord. For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. All right. So right here at Jeremiah 31, right, we see this awesome promise. And what I want us to see in this new covenant is the incredible fact that this new covenant, yes, it entails the forgiveness of sins, but also this new covenant is such that God is going to do it all, right? In the first covenant, the people had to be the ones to say, yes, we're going to keep our end of the deal. We're going to do everything you told us to do, right? In this new covenant, God says, I'm going to accomplish that, right? I'm going to write it on your hearts. I'm going to forgive your sins. I'm going to do it all. And that's what Jesus is getting at right here in Matthew 26 when he says, this is my blood of the covenant. Jesus is saying, I'm going to do it all for you, right? That my blood is going to cover your sins and my life is going to be given to you so that you can be called sons and daughters of God, right? That you're invited into this new relationship, not based on, on our performance or what we can do, but purely and solely and 100% based on what Jesus has done for us on the cross. You know, in Hebrews chapter 10, this is in the New Testament, um, the author goes through a long kind of dissertation comparing and contrasting kind of the old Mosaic covenant that we looked at in Exodus to the new covenant in Jeremiah that Jesus ushers in in Matthew. And when the author of Hebrews gets to kind of the end of his kind of takeaway point in chapter 10, he says it like this. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, but a new and living way opened for us through the curtain, that is, Jesus' body. And since we have a great priest, again Jesus, over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Right, what is he getting at here? This is an incredible thing because back in the old covenant, right, in the Exodus days, basically only the high priest once a year, was allowed to enter into the presence of God. And he could only do it after a whole bunch of ceremonial kind of washing and cleaning to kind of get himself right before he was allowed to come into God's presence. Right? And what Jesus has done for us with his body and his blood is that he's given us full access so that we can live 24-7 in the presence of God. Like, that is crazy, right? And we're not just there as guests anymore, right? We're not just there as guests invited over for dinner. We're there as children. 1 John 3, 1a says, see what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. So I'm a new dad, right? Uh, you guys have probably met Mabel. She sometimes cries a lot in the back. Um, about four months old, and there was one of these nights a few weeks ago where I had been kind of like rocking her to sleep, and I kind of paused to just look at her and take time to Think and reflect upon the fact that this is how God sees me. And it was crazy, right? I mean, no matter how hard my daughter complains and whines about not wanting to take the bottle, right? And no matter how many times she pees on me or poos on me or spits up on me, the fact is she's my daughter and nothing will change that. And when God says that we are his children, that by the blood of Jesus we have been made his children, nothing is going to change that no matter how messy we are, right? 
We don't have to clean ourselves up before coming into the presence of God anymore. We're invited to come because of the blood of Jesus, and we can come as children of God and be in right relationship with him. So that's kind of the first thing that I want us to see there, right, is that we have been invited to be in right relationship with God. The second two pieces of this, um, I'll go a little bit more quickly over, but a lot of times we tend to overlook it. And so what I want us to see here is that the second thing is that communion invites us to right relationship with others. And what I want us to see here is that in both times, both the, uh, in Exodus as well as in Matthew when the covenant is made, notice that it's not made with just an individual person. Right? Jesus didn't go to each one of his disciples and say, hey, I'm making a covenant with you, and one with you, and one with you, and one with you, right? What does he do? He says it to the entire group, right, a community. And what I want us to see here is that when we're invited into right relationship with God and made children of God, we are also invited into right relationship with others because we're invited to be part of a family, right? We are part of the family of God. Now, if you guys have siblings, you know how it works, right? You can't be cool with your parents and simultaneously be fighting with your brother or sister, right? If you're fighting with your brother and sister and you try to be all cool with your parents, they're going to be like, hey, you should probably go make up with your brother and sister because I don't want you guys to be fighting, right? And so it's kind of a package deal here. And that's one of the reasons why, as a church, we don't really take communion like on our own, right? We take communion when we come together and gather together as a community because we recognize the fact that God's invited us into this community, Right, so that when we come into right relationship with God, we're also coming in, into right relationship with each other. The last piece that I want us to see here is that communion invites us to look ahead and long for more. Pretty much every time you see communion mentioned in the Gospels or in Corinthians, there's always talk of Jesus' return and of the fulfillment of the kingdom. Right, what is that about? Here's the thing, right? As good and awesome as Jesus' death and resurrection was that invites us into this right relationship with God, that was the beginning of what Jesus is doing, right? Because he's one day going to make everything right again. And he's going to make all things new when his kingdom is completely here on earth and the glory of God fills the earth. And so I think for all of us as we come into church, um, as we come to communion, sometimes we're coming in and we're feeling broken, right? We're coming in, and we're feeling the weight of the world and the pain and the hurt. Maybe sometimes we're coming in, and we're looking at our own lives, and we're like, man, like, I still struggle with sin. And we're frustrated with our own weakness, right, with our own struggles. Or maybe sometimes we're coming in, and we've just been devastated by the brokenness of the world around us. Right? Maybe it's a family member that's sick, um, maybe we've lost someone. Maybe, you know, all sorts of things that have happened, right? And we're coming in in the midst of mourning and pain. Or maybe we're coming in and we've just looked at the news recently. And we're looking at the world around us and we see a divided world. We see hostility. We see racism. We see hurt still. And it's in these moments that I think communion reminds us that there's even more to look forward to, right? That God is currently at work. Right? And he's going to make all things new. And it gives us a hope in the midst of brokenness. Right? And so what I to see in communion is that, yes, it invites us to right relationship with God. Yes, it invites us to right relationship with others. And it also invites us to look ahead and to long for more. Right? That it gives us hope in the midst of suffering so that we can come as we are 
and long for more. And as we long for more, communion then also becomes the fuel for mission, right? Because if we're longing for more, then we want to see God's kingdom come. And it moves us to go and to share the good news with the rest of the world because we know we all need uh, the blood of Jesus to cover us and we all need this invitation uh, to come to God. So I want to just kind of bring all of this full circle, right? Because, again, communion is the highlight of our time together. And I've been talking a lot here, but all of this is just set up, right, for communion, the time we actually get to come um, and take communion together. And there's something I want us to see here is that this isn't just a Sunday morning thing, right? We talked about in the beginning that communion as a practice and the stories we tell shape who we are as people, right? It shapes us as people. And we want this table of communion, as Jesus invites us to celebrate communion, to remember him, we want this retelling of the story to shape us, not just on Sundays, but 24-7, right? That we would be good news people. If you think about it, each and every day we are inundated with different stories, right? There's a story that you have to be an A-plus student, right? Or there's a story that uh, you have to be the best parent in the world, right? Or there's a story that if only you could find the right guy or the right girl, then you'll be happy, right? There's all these different stories that constantly play out in our mind, and we're affected by it each and every day, right? I was just thinking about this this past week for myself, but if you guys have played sports with me, you know I'm, like, highly competitive. Um, and I was thinking about this past week, and there's a moment where I realized that sometimes when I'm living the wrong story, I can have eyes that are constantly looking at how I stack up against the competition, right? Constantly wondering, how do I compare against this person in that arena or that person in this other arena, right? And sometimes that can become the story that drives me. But what Jesus wants for us when he gives us communion is he wants communion to be the story of our lives. He wants his story of what he's done for us in his death and resurrection to be the story of our lives, that we would recognize that we've been invited into this right relationship with God, and it's not based on our performance, but it's based on what he's done. And he's inviting us into right relationships with others, into this hope of a world made right. right. That's the story that we want to retell over and over and over again so that we're marinating it so that this is the lens through which we see, and this is the story that defines us. So I've talked about a bunch about communion. Hopefully we've caught a little glimpse of how awesome it can be. But I also recognize that, again, words fail to express the depth and wonder of how awesome Jesus' sacrifice is for us, right? And so as we come to the communion table, I want us to remember, as Jesus said in John chapter 15, that greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for his friends. And that is what we're remembering at this table, right? That Jesus laid down his life for us so that we could have that amazing relationship with him and with God the Father. As we come to the communion table today, maybe you've celebrated it and taken it a thousand times before, or maybe this is your first time and you're considering whether or not you want to take it. I want us to remember the invitation of Jesus. The invitation of Jesus, that he's inviting us to right relationship with him, to right relationship with others, to a hope that lasts forevermore, to a hope of a world made right. And he's inviting us to come and to remember him. And as we consider coming, right, there's a tangible participation here. Because this isn't just us sitting there 
and thinking about some things that were said and taught and intellectually assenting maybe and saying, okay, that's cool, right? There's an invitation for us to engage, to participate. Like when I was a kid, to actually help out and clean up the table because that was how I actually formatively stepped into what my family was about. Jesus here is inviting us to come, to get out of our seats and to take the bread, his body given for us, and the cup, the grape juice here, his blood shed for us so that we can retell the story for ourselves and respond to his invitation. Right? Everything we've said this morning doesn't mean anything if we don't respond to him. And his invitation for us in communion is for us to respond, to remember him, and to celebrate his good news. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, God, we thank you for the amazing news of communion because it blows our mind every time we come to the table that we're remembering the story of Jesus and what you've done for us on the cross, Lord. I mean, you loved us to the end that you gave yourself up for us to demonstrate your love for us even in the midst of our messiness. And God, for us as a community, as we step into this room here today, we're probably coming with all sorts of backgrounds and all sorts of baggage. And you know all that already, God. And yet you invite us to come as we are. And you say that you love us. You say that you've forgiven us. And you've given, demonstrated that by going to the cross and dying for us so that we can be in right relationship with you, so that we can be children of God. Where nothing can change the fact that we are your children. God, that is amazingly good news. I pray, Lord, that you would inundate us with that news each and every day and that that news would transform us as people, God. And so we thank you again. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.